Brush up your Shakespeare. Start quoting him now. Brush up your Shakespeare. And no women, you will wow. Just declaim a few lines. Hello, Shannon Riley here, inviting you to join me every Sunday here on KSEF as I talk Shakespeare on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. Every Sunday at 8 and 8, archived here at Kansas 785 Live, as well as on my own website, ShannonJRiley.com. Join me and let's talk a little bit about the bar on KSEF every Sunday, 8 to 8. listening to KSEF, a digital broadcast in Topeka, brought to you by 785 Magazine. Learn more at 785live.com. And now it's time for Shannon Shakespeare Sunday with your host, my daddy, Shannon Riley. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF Digital Radio, 75 Live. Thank you, my darling daughter, Bibi, for introducing me, and welcome to yet again another episode of Shannon Shakespeare Sunday. This is the only podcast in Northeast Kansas that's devoted exclusively to the works of William Shakespeare, and I want to once again reiterate, I am not a Shakespearean scholar, just a Shakespeare devotee. I love Shakespeare. I love to read about his works, and right now I'm on a quest to talk about each one of his plays individually, one at a time in an episode, to try and introduce the idea of you experiencing some of these shows that you may never have heard of, even if you're a Shakespeare fan like myself. So today, we're up to about 1604, 1605, where Shakespeare is now officially a Jacobean writer. He is now writing for King James I of England. Elizabeth has passed away, and he is now a member of the King's Men. There is a change in Shakespeare here. He goes from being that humble playwright, a part of the Lord Chamberlain's men, even though he was a favor of the Queen, to a gentleman, a person of the court, and a person who was a member of the King's Men, the most prominent theater company working in England at the time. And Shakespeare changes in his writing, too. He wants to be much more of an artist who talks about things that are important and gets a message across. And one of the most important people he wants to talk to is his main benefactor, the King of England. William Shakespeare's works take on a whole new meaning during this period. And today's play is a prime example of that. Considered one of the problem plays, today we talk about Measure for Measure. I gotta say on the onset, I am a huge fan of Measure for Measure. I think it's his most contemporary works. As I start to explain this play today, I think you're going to see parallels between Shakespeare's time and our time in this play, because it very much has some of the same issues and the same driving themes that we experience in our theater and in our news today. So I'm really excited about Measure for Measure. Now, last week I was talking about All's Well That Ends Well, and I was not a big fan of that particular play. I'm a huge fan of this one. But there are similarities between these two plays that really drive us to understand that they were done together. Written very, very close to each other, I should say. And this particular play contains what is known as a bed trick. And I mentioned the bed trick last time. It's a trick where 
Two people go to bed, but one person thinks who they're sleeping with is someone different than who it really is. This bed trick idea was used in the Middle Ages in many different stories. Shakespeare uses it twice. Some argue three times because in As You Like It, Hero is married to her husband, but he doesn't know he's marrying her. But that's not the same thing as a bed trick. It's a wed trick, (laughs) but not a bed trick. This is a bed trick. And the bed trick is accompanied with a head trick. (laughs) So what I'm talking about, I will make very clear as we finish up today. But we're going to start off, first of all, about the themes of Measure for Measure. Overall, the play is about justice, but it isn't just justice. Shakespeare is trying to reach his king about very fundamental issues going on in the court and in England at the time. He wants the king to be aware of these things, and he wants the king to say where he falls on these issues. He's expecting action out of his plays, and you see this again later in Macbeth and in King Lear, where he is really trying to drive home to the king a message that, Your Highness, you need to pay attention to these growing issues in your country. These themes of injustice, of of sexuality, of growing religious intolerance, these are things that were being dealt with in the Jacobean court. And they're things that are still being dealt with in society today. This play that we're going to take a journey with today is remarkable. And as I read you the synopsis, I think you're going to see what I mean by how close this is to the things we encounter every single day. But as always, before I start doing the synopsis, I take a moment to invite my son, Finn, to come in and introduce his favorite part of the episode, and that is... And now, the Shakespeare Quote of the Week. The Shakespeare Quote of the Week, and there are some great quotes in Measure for Measure. And I know many of you may not have heard of this play, but I entreat you, please go watch it after we're done here today, because there are some great moments in the play and some brilliant quotes. For instance, Lucio in Act 1, Scene 5, he has the quote, Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we off might win by fearing to attempt. Don't be afraid to try what you know is right. Then there's this great quote by Aeschylus in Act 2, Scene 1. Some rise by sin, and some by virtue fall. What a a great line. And then here's a message for all of you out there that are maybe dealing with some moral issues of your own. Angelo in Act 2, Scene 2 says, Condemn the fault, and not the actor of it. Isn't that very similar to today's hate the sin and not the sinner? Then there's Angelo, Act 2, Scene 2. Is this her fault or mine? The tempter or the tempted? Who sins most? This is a message right out of the Me Too movement. Is it my fault that you look good? (laughs) It's so brilliant, this play. Claudio says in Act 3, Scene 1, The miserable have no other medicine but only hope. I love that quote. Sometimes when we are miserable, our only medicine is hope. And then there's a quote that hides the very title of the play. The Duke, in Act 5, Scene 1, says, Haste still pays haste, and leisure awaits leisure. Like doth quote like, and measure still for measure. But perhaps the most quotable line that is still used today is the Duke, in Act 5, Scene 1, when he says, What's mine is yours, and what is yours is mine. 
My casa, your casa. <laughs> this is a great play, and I'm really looking forward to sharing what's going on in this play with you. So let's get to the nitty-gritty and the summary of Measure for Measure. First of all, this play was written probably around 1604-1605, as I mentioned earlier. It was performed multiple times. There's evidence that it was, but it was not published until 1623 in the first folio collected of the works of William Shakespeare by Hemings and Condell. This suggests that it was either a very popular play that they wanted to maintain control of and not allow other people to perform, so they did not publish it on that very right, or it also could suggest that this play was not popular and publishing it wouldn't mean anything to them on their bottom line. This is unlikely to me. Even the saddest play was usually published by playwrights because if they could make a few bucks, even though it wasn't going to be performed again, they'd take it. So I think Measure for Measure may be one of the plays that they return to at least towards the end of Shakespeare's writing career. This may not be the case with All's Well That Ends Well. I am starting to believe that All's Well That Ends Well may never have been performed for two reasons. One is, it's a bad play. It's very, very weakly written. But the second thing that I think that could lead to that is that it contains that bed trick that I mentioned earlier. Would Shakespeare really use the same trick two plays in a row? I think he'd probably grab the bed trick out of as All's Well That Ends Well so he could insert it in Measure for Measure because All's Well That Ends Well was not being seen. That makes the most sense to me, but we may never know. Measure for Measure is a play about greed, power, and the corruption of power. And it opens in Vienna, where we run into Duke Vincenzo. The Duke feels like he's really not in command of Vienna anymore. He's been ruler for multiple years, a couple of decades, and he feels like too many things have gone corrupt, too many unjust things are happening in his town. There is open prostitution. There is vice on every street corner. And he decides that maybe he needs to step back and get a better idea of what's going on in his kingdom. So, he turns to Angelo, who is his trusted lieutenant. Now, Angelo is a man of extreme morality. He is a man who believes in the letter of the law, and nobody should get away with anything just because they are connected, wealthy, or have some other lucky happenstance by birth. So, the Duke thinks Angelo is a perfect person to put in charge while he's gone. He'll bring order to this small kingdom that is slightly out of order. And in the meantime, the Duke intends to return in disguise and watch his kingdom from afar to see if he can learn anything about the common life of his people. Well, he does not tell Angelo he's coming back in disguise. He just simply gives the kingdom to Angelo and says he's going on a vacation. So Angelo takes off, and immediately he swifts in with very draconian rules and laws and demands that everybody be held accountable. Now, the first person that Angelo arrests is a young man by the name of Claudio, and he condemns Claudio to death for immoral behavior. It seems that Claudio and his fiancée, Juliet, have been doing the deed before they're married, and Juliet is pregnant. This is fornication, and is condemned by death. This is a very interesting thing to me, because in the Elizabethan era, it was quite common for people, once they made the announcement in church that they were going to be wed, that they would often move in together. A young lady would move to the, her fiancé's house, who was usually living with his family at the time. This was not uncommon. Shakespeare himself went to the altar with, with a pregnant fiancé. 
So uh, I don't think this is any different for the Jacobean audiences. So it's not that much time has gone by, but it was maybe different in Catholic countries, which it would explain the setting of Vienna. But there's another reason why I think this is here, and I'm going to talk about that, but it has to do with a growing movement in England of the Puritans. And I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. Anyway, Claudio is in prison and he's going to be put to death. So he sends message to his sister Isabella to please go and talk to Angelo and try to talk him into giving him some kind of mercy or reprieve from the death penalty, promising that he will marry Julia and this child will not be a bastard. Yet at the same time, he knows that he was wrong. So Isabella goes to see Angelo. Now here's the thing you got to know about Isabella. Isabella isn't just some common Venetian young lady. She is a woman about to take her final vows to become a nun. She is of a very religious background and also incredibly pious. Like Angelo, she believes in the letter of the law, the letter of religion. Even finds the own order that she's about to join to be too liberal, yet she's willing to join it, if only to help lead to more conservative values once she becomes a member of the order. So Isabella runs off to meet with Angelo. Angelo greets her and says, you know what, I'll think about this for a day. Come back and see me tomorrow. And when she returns, he has an answer for her. He says, I tell you what, I will let your brother out of prison on one condition. You sleep with me. She's immediately shocked. Here is this nice young nun and she's being propositioned when she says, I will definitely not, and I will expose you for what you have done, he laughs and says, who's going to believe you? This is right out of the Me Too movement, and this is a play from 1604-1605. A remarkable play, measure for measure, and very much in keeping with our time. Now, meantime, and by the way, I'm in Act 2. Meantime, the Duke has returned to the city in disguise as a friar, and he's hiding in the prison. Isabel goes to visit, and he overhears their conversation. There, Isabel tells Claudio that, I'm sorry, you're going to die tomorrow because I refuse to sleep with Angelo to get you free. Claudio at first agrees that she's made the right choice, but then he begs her. He says, you really should reconsider this for a moment. Consider that maybe a little sin, like fornication, isn't such a big deal, and if it saves your brother's life, is there really any sin in it. He gives this line, go to your bosom, knock there, and ask your heart what it doth know. Well, immediately, Isabel is infuriated with her brother and says, I will do nothing, and I'm sorry, you will die tomorrow. All right, we're about halfway through with the play, but I'm also about halfway through my time with you. So we're going to take a short break, and when I come back, we'll give you the rest of Measure for Measure as well as some thoughts behind its writing. Take a short break. I'll see you right after that. Bye-bye. Right here is where I would say, now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So, for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com. Hello and welcome back to Shannon Shakespeare Sunday right here on KSEF. And today 
We're talking about Measure for Measure, and I'm very excited about this play. It's one of my favorites. Now, as I said in the first half of the podcast today, we got up to about the middle of Act 3. I'm closing in on the end of the play, and then I really want to talk about what this play means in terms of the society in which Shakespeare was living in. All right, so we're still in Act 3, and Isabel has already told her brother Claudio of what Angelo expects from her, and she's already told Claudio, I'm sorry, you're going to die because I'm not sleeping with Angelo just to get you out of the jail. The Duke, who has been overhearing this entire conversation, disguises a friar, corners Isabel later, and says, Look, I have an idea that can try and help both you and your brother. You see, he knows that Angelo was supposed to marry a young lady by the name of Mariana. Mariana and Angelo were betrothed. But Angelo called off the wedding because her dowry was lost at sea. Neat guy, this Angelo, by the way. Well, this kind of ruins it, Mariana. A woman who had already been engaged to somebody else is pretty much damaged goods. The chance of her landing a husband after being turned away by one other man who had proposed marriage is not a good sign for Mariana. And so the Duke thinks, I've got the perfect plan to fix this for you. What you do is you arrange to meet with Angelo in the dark at night. But instead of you, we'll send Mariana. Mariana will sleep with Angelo. He will think you've lived up to your bargain. Free your brother. And in the meantime, he will have bedded his fiancée. And once again, when we reveal him, we'll have to marry her. Isabella does not want to do this bed trick. But the friar is insistent. And being a friar, he's able to talk this nun into following up with their plan, and they go to meet with Mariana. Now in Act 4, despite Angelo's agreement with Isabella, the prison is given orders to execute Claudio in the night. He wants the head to be delivered to him at 3 in the morning after he has already bedded Isabella. Again, really neat guy, this Angelo. The Duke overhears what's going to happen and decides, I'll tell you what, he says to the jailer, do not kill Claudio under any circumstances. Instead, let's kill a prisoner who's been here a long time, who has no hope of ever getting out of the prison. And he suggests a guy by the name of Bernardine. They go to Bernardine and say, hey, Bernardine, how about we get you out of jail by taking your life? Of course, Bernardine says no. That's an interesting side story about Bernardine in this play. But in any case, what they do instead was they find a prisoner who has recently died in the prison, a, a captured pirate, who died of the flu in jail, who happens to look an awful lot like Claudio. Great luck there. So they cut off his head, and they send his head instead to Angelo. Thus you have a bed trick and a head trick. Act 5 is the following day, after Mariana has fulfilled her, her part of the bargain. By the way, Mariana had to be talked into it. She even denies wanting to do it, and tries to get out of it, but again the Duke disguises as friar, convinces her there's no sin in what she's doing, and in the end she'll get a husband out of the deal. But she's fulfilled her bargain. The Duke, still in disguise, tells Isabella that Angelo has had Claudio executed. He knows that Claudio is still alive, yet he tells his sister that she has been executed, and says that the Duke will be returning very soon from abroad, and when he is, cry for justice from him. And indeed, he leaves to return as the Duke himself. Isabella and Mariana go to the Duke, and they make their complaints against Angelo. Isabella begs for justice, with the help of Mariana at her side, and they both claim exactly what it is that Angelo did and what he is guilty of. Angelo is brought forward, and he is forced to accept his guilt under the Duke, and the Duke orders him to marry Mariana as his wife. Meanwhile, while befriending Isabella, Lucio, who's one of the jailers, 
and the comic role in the play, has also slandered the Duke many times to his face, not knowing that the friar that he was slandering the Duke to was indeed the Duke himself. So, Lucio himself is ordered to get married, and he's ordered to marry the prostitute mother of his illegitimate child. Another marriage. And finally, the Duke reveals that he was in disguise the whole time, and he brings Claudio forward from the prison and immediately pardons him and restores him and Juliet together so they too can get married. And at the same time, he turns to Isabella and offers to make her his bride, joining their houses together. That's Angelo and Mariana, Lucio and his prostitute wife, Claudio and Juliet, and the Duke and Isabella all getting married at the end. Remember, I've said before, a comedy is when it ends in marriage. A tragedy is when it ends in a funeral. There's four marriages there for you. Shakespeare loves to stack up the marriages in his comedy. And that's the end of Measure for Measure. Now, here's what I want to say about Measure for Measure, because I'm really, really in love with this play. It lends itself to a modern audience in a way no other play really does. The issues that are in this play are very alive, and we're willing to talk about them now. That's not always been the case for Measure for Measure. Measure for Measure is considered one of those problem plays. And I've described problem plays before. It's a play where it doesn't really classify as a comedy, doesn't really classify as a drama, yet at the same time, it's both. This is a lot of Shakespeare's work, but it also has to deal with the fact that there are issues in this play that are difficult for other generations afterwards to really appreciate and understand. This was the case with Measure for Measure, for several years, I would argue a couple hundred years, in the 17th century, it was considered scandalous and the kind of stuff you don't talk about in polite situations. You certainly don't put a woman on stage. And by the way, women are now actors in the 17th century. You don't put a woman on stage and tell her, being forced to have sex with another man to save her brother. It was scandalous. 18th century, it was considered rude and provocative. It wasn't until the late 19th century and early 20th century that this play started to take on modern meaning. And today, even though for hundreds of years it was one of Shakespeare's least performed plays, more and more productions of Measure for Measure started taking place. People started to talk openly about the issues that were going on in this play. And they started to talk mainly about the sexual issues. The issue of a woman being forced to prostitute herself in order to gain justice. And yes, this is a major theme of the play. This was not the major theme to Shakespeare. What was happening in Shakespeare's life at that time, and in everybody's life in England, was the rise of the Puritans. And they are given extra strength due to James taking the throne. When Elizabeth was Queen of England, she was a power to be reckoned with. She was in control of her domain. She had been queen for a long time, and people did not mess with her. She had a very strong secret police. It was a very strong police state. And so Elizabeth had control over her country, and she was beloved. James is from Scotland. He was James VI in Scotland. He's now James I of England. His mother was Queen of Scots, so I'm put to death by Elizabeth. He did not spend much time in the court before becoming king, and he seems out of touch and completely feckless in his position as king. He liked to hunt down witches. He does a really great thing, I think, in that he brings together some scholars to write the first English version of the Bible. 
Before that, everything was in Latin, and he decides it's much more important that people of his country be able to read the Bible. And so he brings people together to assemble the King James Bible, which is still being used today. This Protestant Bible, by the way, has sometimes thought that Shakespeare himself was brought in to help write that. That's the story for another time, but I think that's totally apocryphal. There's no way they would have brought in a scandalous playwright to help write the Holy Bible. But nevertheless, I can talk about that later. So this rise of Puritanism is a danger in England. It's a danger not only to artists, but Shakespeare thinks it's a danger to the entire society. It's Angelo he's talking about here in this play. It's Angelo's desire for absolute religious adherence to the law. His man for justice, yet behind the scenes, he's a dirty scoundrel. And Shakespeare even gives us the other side of that coin with Isabella. And Isabella is a sweet, innocent person. But she also is very conservative in her beliefs and desires more and more religious control over society. This is what is growing in England, and Shakespeare fears it. And this is the message he's trying to say to James. When James took the throne, he promised he'd be king for everyone. He'd even make peace with the Catholics. So here Shakespeare does is present a Catholic story to the king, trying to get across the message, live up to your promises. Then there's this other message. This message of what might makes right is not always right. And here we're talking about the Duke. The Duke goes in disguise. He allows his country to fall under the command of this zealot, Angelo. Now, you could relate this to Henry V when he dresses up in disguise to go and hear what his soldiers feel on the eve of a battle. There it seems very heroic. It seems very in touch with his own men and a reach out to the common man. No, that's not what the Duke is doing here. The Duke is doing a grand experiment and he's allowing his subjects to be the lab rats. He even goes so far as to pressure Mariana into taking Isabella's place in Angelo's bed. She doesn't want to do it. And yet he pressures her into it and even uses religion to force her into it. And in the end of the play, he's married to this monster, Angelo. Now, do Jacobean audiences see him as a monster, or do they see him getting his just desserts? He now is forced to get married and live a life with this woman who he had originally turned down. Maybe they saw it that way. Maybe they had a very male-centered idea. I can't help thinking about how miserable Mariana's life might have been. Then there's the question of the Duke proposing to Isabella. Isabella, who was about to join a holy order. Isabella, who was going to devote her life as a bride of Christ, a nun. And at the end of the play, this is thrown away by Shakespeare because she's going to become the wife of a duke. It is a question of power. And this is the question that Shakespeare is shaking the tree that the king is sitting in saying, Your Majesty, what are you going to do about this? It is also sexual question, this power that men have over women. There is a story within here that I didn't touch on, really, of Lucio. Lucio is arrested for being a pimp, and he is going to be put to death. But there's so many people being put to death under Angelo's rule that the jailer says, I'll tell you what, I'll spare you if you be my assistant executioner. And he agrees to it. Lucio gets to say a lot of the very most noble and amazing things in this play. 
He talks as an outsider, witnessing the world that he lives in and the world that he's forced to be a part of under the Duke. And the Duke has to hear it. It is a great comic role, but it also is a role of a narrator, someone who is commenting on the exact life that people are living in. Isn't this a travesty? Measure for Measure is one of those plays that you don't get to see very often. And I don't know why, because it's really remarkable. And the stories in this play could be picked up and dropped in the middle of Hollywood. Could be picked up and dropped in the middle of New York. Could be picked up and dropped in the middle of anywhere. Because we are all dealing with these issues even today. From religious zealots to political zealots, to people who use their power to abuse those who are powerless. This is listed as a comedy in Shakespeare's canon. Still is today. I've never seen it played as an all-in-out comedy. There are funny moments. But this indeed is a very dramatic play, and one that is well worth everyone's time. Thank you for listening to me today on Shannon Shakespeare Sunday, as I talked about one of my favorite of Shakespeare's plays, Measure for Measure. Please go check it out. There's some great versions out there. Watch one because it really is an amazing play. Thank you all for tuning in. And please join me next Sunday on the 8th with Shannon's Shakespeare Sunday. And until then, as always, keep it barred to the bone. Bye-bye.